We interrupt your special announcement to bring you this regularly scheduled programming. How is Square Wave Symphony dealing with coronavirus? Well, like this. Welcome to another episode of Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, your home for video games, chiptunes, and all things weird and geeky. I'm Coolio, if you don't know. And uh, yeah, we're doing this again. We're uh, going to continue with the co-odd thing that uh, I have decided to do since, you know, COVID is videos, right? That's exactly what that means. Co-videos 2019. Um, no, but, um, unfortunately I didn't get both of the people that I wanted to get for this episode, but I did get one, so at least there's that. For now, let's take a look at what's new over at lowbiasgaming.net, and I'm not really sure what's new because there's a whole lot of stuff that already existed there. Um... But there is some stuff here, there's some stuff from Scarlet that I saw, there's Dusk, there's at least 11 episodes, maybe 12, something like that. Um, what else is there that isn't actually just reposted things? Final Fantasy VIII is also a thing, there's two new videos as far as I can tell. Um, as well as, of course, some uh, soundtracks. We have Misao, 1943, Eight Eyes, and Adventures in the Magic Kingdom. So, there's a little bit of stuff going on there. It's not a whole lot, but um, it is worth checking out. It's all at lowbiasgaming.net. And, yeah. That's pretty much all I have to say for right now, uh, so let's just jump right into the music, shall we? You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. To Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. That song was by Hirohiko Takayama, 
and it is the title theme of today's game from the archives. In the year 2777, nuclear war and natural disasters have long since devastated the Earth. Only five sparsely inhabited worlds survived to form a single nation, Xexes, where mankind lives peacefully under the rule of good King Zhu Star. But one day Xexes is attacked. From deepest space comes Goruza, a mighty fortress of bizarre and vicious mechanical beasts. Xexes is defenseless against the assault. All hope is dead, until at last, space warrior Apollo decides he can no longer endure his people's suffering. In full battle gear, he challenges the robotic monsters of Goruza and their cruel empire, vowing to destroy them and to free Xexes from his terrible fate. And that is Xexes. It's an action game. It's a platformer for the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System developed by Atlas, published by Hudson, and released in 1990. Um, it's a weird little platformer that um, has a bouncing ball type of thing, and it's weird. It's just weird. It's all kinds of weird. It's by Hudson, so they make weird things. That's the best that I can say. Um, but it is it is interesting enough to, to at least take a look at, and there is definitely a look that you can take over on lowbiasgaming.net. Uh, Jason brings us six episodes in a lovely playlist there if you are interested in checking that out.
That was VNMN with Neural Musing, and you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And welcome back to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, your home for video games, chiptunes, and all things weird and geeky. And speaking of weird, it is time for the news of the weird. And this time, it's going to be a little different because you see. Me and Jason Parton over at Low Bias Gaming, over at Electric Leftovers, we got together and read the news for both of our shows at the same time. So that's what you're going to be listening to this time. Uh, just letting you know, as always, I do not read these stories ahead of time. Some of these may not jive well with all audiences, but they have been scanned for objectionable content. This segment is about 13 to 15 minutes long, so take that as you will. Our lead story in the news this week, police in Las Cruces, New Mexico, who approached a woman driving a stolen car on March 7th, were surprised when she identified herself as pop singer Beyonce Knowles, according to police documents. The Las Cruces Sun News reported officers had to use fingerprint scanners to properly identify Serena Henry, 48. Henry at first ignored police when they tried to pull her over, according to court documents, but they followed her to her home where she got out of the car, but refused to give them her name. She was charged with stealing the vehicle, concealing her identity, and resisting arrest. She didn't refuse anything. She kept saying she's Beyonce Knowles. <laughs> what does Beyonce Knowles? I mean, it, it, it's Beyonce, right? It's it's totally her. It can't be anyone else. You would think it would be easy to dispute that. Uh, next story is going to be an update. Uh, News of the Weird reported in July 2017 about Jeff Reitz of Huntington Beach, California, who at the time had just achieved his 2000th visit to Disneyland in Anaheim. Since then, Reitz47 has continued his daily visits until March 13th when Disney closes theme parks in response to the COVID-19 outbreak. Rice was just short of 3,000 visits, the Orange County Register reported, at 2,995. The streak's been ended, Reed said. He does not plan to continue his consecutive streak when the park reopens. On the negative side, I didn't get to choose the end, he said. But on the positive side, I didn't have to choose the end. While he's practicing social isolation, Reitz plans to watch some movies on, you guessed it, Disney Plus. Are there movies on Disney Plus? Probably. I mean, Disney's produced like 5 million movies. But are there movies you want to watch on Disney Plus? Depends on the person, I guess. Uh, If you're the kind of person to go to Disneyland 3,000 times, probably will find something to watch. Most likely, but he didn't visit 3,000 times, only 2,995. I'm going to give him the roundup on that one. Fair enough. It's in the margin of error. It's in the margin of error. Yeah, that sounds good. Our next story about people are good. Are they? People are good. Well, let's... Potato salad. <laughs> but let's not Just get a... into the, sto- the soil and green territory. Oh, all right, fine. <laughs> I'll save that for another time. All right. Uh... Just a few hours after Harris County, Texas declared that all bars and nightclubs would have to close on March 16th, an anonymous diner at Irma Southwest Restaurant in downtown Houston did their best to help out. The customer, who left a $9,400 tip, wrote on the receipt, 
helpful tip to pay your guys over the next few weeks. United Press International said Irma's will split the tip among the employees, giving them each about 300 bucks. I wish I had the kind of money to be able to tip that well. I wish I had the tip. <laughs> I mean, that would help too. Goodness, $9,400. That's like a million in Canadian. Well, I don't know about that. Our next story, I hate when that happens. Sage Aaron Cummins, 24, of Gallup, New Mexico, woke up on one recent morning and found that he had two TVs in his room that had not been there the day before. Two days later, he found out an acquaintance was missing two TVs and put two and two together. Literally. Uh, according to Gallup Police, Cummins re returned to the victim's apartment with the goods and approached an officer who was there investigating the burglary report. He told the officer he had been, quote, very intoxicated when he knocked on a door that evening and when no one answered, he entered the home, but he didn't remember what happened after that. Cummins told police he, quote, wanted to make things right and return the stolen items, according to the Associated Press. Nevertheless, he was arrested and charged with receiving stolen property. Wait, he received it? I thought he stole it. Yeah, that's... He, well, he Are received they... it from himself. Um, Are those separate crimes? Maybe, maybe it's like a multiple personality thing since he was very drunk. If drunk him stole the TVs and left them for sober him, shouldn't they be arresting drunk him? One would that? think. That, I mean, Along that, with sober him? That makes perfect sense to me, but... Maybe, maybe it's... Some sort of quantum mechanic thing that we haven't quite figured out yet as far as legal issues. Laws are weird, and I learned about a weird law uh, we have here in Idaho where I live today at work. Oh? Um, so if you want to bury a body... <laughs> le oh legally... Legally, in the state of Idaho, you have to have a licensed funeral director on site. Okay. If you want to legally cremate a body, you need a licensed funeral director on site. Okay. If you wish to legally bury the cremated remains of somebody, you do not have to have a licensed funeral director on site. I mean, at that point, the, the body is no longer really a body. They have they have decided that the body has been disposed of. Pretty much. At that point. Yeah. And other weird rules about dead people on next week's episode. Oh boy. Except probably not. Probably not, no. Um, Our next story for this week, though, involves what looks to be something awesome. Oh man. Or as I when, like to say, awesome. Oh, Go ahead. <laughs> uh, when Alexander e. Miller, 28, of Chicago, Illinois, won a two-inch goldfish at a carnival in July 2018, she assumed he would stay the same size. But since then, Gerald the goldfish has grown to be 12 inches long, and Miller has spent $1,300 upgrading his tanks to accommodate him, and she's already looking for a bigger one. Bigger one what? It doesn't say. And the Mirror also reported Gerald is not too shy about getting his needs met. He does lay around a lot, but it seems when he's bored or hungry, he jumps out of the water and likes to grab the thermometer inside his tank, Miller said. He'll click it against the glass till he's got our attention. But she went on, if I put a smaller, -ish, smaller fish in there with him, he will eat them. 
or a smaller ish fish. <laughs> Start, it's starting to make me think that maybe it's not just a goldfish. Maybe it's Blinky. Maybe it's a dope fish. Have you ever thought of that? Maybe you just get rid of the fish. Yeah, especially when it's been $1,300 and still looking to spend more on one fish. Do goldfish live two years? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, this might require investigation. Yes, well, we will make sure to investigate further at some point in the distant future and then forget about it. How about some I signs? was just going to tell the listeners to investigate and get back to us. Well, I mean, that also works. If you want to do that, please do. I like passive research. Passive research, exactly. I like research that comes to you. <laughs> How about some signs of the times? And there are two of them. Yes, please. Uh, First, during the COVID-19 crisis, some people in Japan have resorted to pilfering toilet paper from public restrooms when the rolls become unavailable in stores. One convenience store worker put the power of the supernatural to work against such thefts. Mink Ich uh, Itachibe, who works at a store in the Niigata prefecture, hung signs with images of eyes and kanji characters in front of the toilet paper to curse the tempting rolls. I did it as a joke, but it seems to have worked, she told CNN. The symbols imply that if someone nips TP from the store, a hungry monster will hunt them down and gobble them up. People can be quite superstitious, superstitious in Japan, Itachibe said. I want to know the name of the monster that eats you for stealing toilet paper. Cornholio. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it has to be, right? That was a silly question, and I'm sorry I asked it. <laughs> so how about some more signs of the times? Go ahead. Uh, add to the list of things not to leave in plain sight in your car. Toilet paper. Police in Eugene, Oregon stated that on March 15th, a thief shattered the entire back window of an SUV in order to get his mitts on two 30-roll cases of toilet paper along with other valuables, the Blaze reported. Anytime vehicles are left unattended for extended periods of time, local thieves view it as a favorable opportunity, police reminded Oregonians. Other valuables. So are we saying that the toilet paper is a valuable at this point? I want to, like, are they sure? The guy's like, oh, toilet paper, all right. And look at TV. <laughs> and one thing I don't understand, why the toilet paper? It's a respiratory disease. Yeah, people... You know, people in Japan, I don't know if you've heard, are very superstitious. <laughs> uh, people the world over are very stupid. Ah. Uh, yeah, I guess that um, that checks out. I mean, if reading the news for as long as we've been reading the news has taught us anything, people <laughs> aren't dumb. Yes, and I... speaking of dumb... I think we've got a compelling explanation coming up. Oh yes we do. Uh, Slidell, Louisiana police pulled over a driver on February 27th for an undisclosed reason, but the car's license plate really got their attention. The tag had expired in September 1997, more than 20 years ago, the Miami Her Herald reported. Sorry officer, police uh, said the man told them. I've been busy and lately and totally forgot to renew my vehicle registration. I will take care of it as soon as I get home, 
Fidel Police posted the incident to their Facebook page commenting, for those of you who like to quote, switch tags, at least give us a good challenge. I want to know what the reason was. I hate it when they do this. They don't <laughs> give me the full story. Like, yeah. What did he do that made you pull him? Well, I mean, if if they saw the plate and it said September 1997, that's reason enough. Yeah, but it, it's presented in such a way it's like the man was smuggling giraffes so please pull him over <laughs> and then noticed that his tags got expired back during the Heck, would that that would still have been Clinton administration, I think. Mm, probably, yeah. Science. <laughs> science. There is no science. There. <laughs> Actually, this might be science related. Um, mostly because it deals with Alabama. Oh boy. A near neighbor to Louisiana who doesn't believe in science. Uh, but the <laughs> Alabama government in action in 1993, Alabama banned public, uh, excuse me, banned yoga in public schools, which I guess would make it public yoga, <laughs> under a general prohibition of the use of hypnosis and dissociative mental states. Told you, science. Now, Representative Jeremy Gray has proposed a bill that would let schools offer yoga as an elective class, but religious groups are expected to fight it. It's the Hindu religion, said Joe Godfrey of the Alabama Citizens Action Program, or ACAP. But Gray is hoping the general acceptance of yoga will prevail. I don't really see what the big deal is, he told NBC News. I mean, my wife does this, my mother does this on the floor of her Methodist church. It's, it's During the, service? What? The, this makes no sense to me at all. Well, let me tell you a story about Alabama. <laughs> okay. Since you're not from the States. Alabama is still fighting to stop the mass proliferation of electricity. Because it is the devil's plaything. So it's basically the um, the Amish state is what you're saying. Um, well, I think the Amish people are like, all right. You know, it's fine. You guys have it. It's not for us. Alabama, they're like pitchforks storming the, the power company. Ah, gotcha. It's, it's a little backwards. It's a little behind the time. A little bit. A little bit. I, they generally rank last in everything when you list the states. Lovely. And speaking of behind the times, Florida. Yay! <laughs> Cody Hicks, 23, was reporting uh, re was reportedly driving erratically and crashed into another car on March 13th in Manatee County, Florida. In itself, not weird. But what he did next perplexed the two young women in the car and onlookers. According to the Manatee County Sheriff's Office, Hicks emerged from his vehicle, pulled down his pants and underwear, and fondled himself while sticking out his tongue at witnesses. ClickOrlando.com reported uh, deputies said Hicks would only uh, yell, would only tell them, "I want my lawyer." He was arrested for a lewd and lascivious exhibition and entered a plea of not guilty. Why the tongue? It's lewd and lascivious, I guess. That, all other things aside, I just like. 
what message are you sending at that point? What message are you sending in the first place? That's what I don't get. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the, our, the, the, the subject pulled the gun and shot the person 17 times, but then slapped them. <laughs> <laughs> it's trying it's, to make a point. It's a political statement. I see. Could, Florida could be. <laughs> All right. Our last story for today. I, since I don't have to read all these, I have a moment to kind of pre-read the stories, which I usually don't do. <laughs> and there is at least one error in this story, and I will address it when I get there. So listen close. Okay. In stories of Ah Snap, this is a public service announcement, the Deerfield, Michigan American Legion has been forced by COVID-19 restrictions to cancel its annual testicle eating festival, which was to take place on March 21st. The big event, which draws 2,000 locals and visitors to Deerfield each year, offers deep-fried cattle genitals, also known as mountain oysters. Since the issue is Rocky Mountain oysters. Yes. Know that because there's one just an hour or so away from my house where they do a big thing like that. And chicken gizzards, which are delicious. Uh, Metro reported all of that. Anyway, so people, uh, many people, excuse me, look forward to coming to Deerfield during this time of the year, said organizer Nick Pulver. But I think we made the best decision to delay it. Organizers hope to postpone it to May 9th, and the 300 pounds of delectables that were ordered for the festival have been frozen. Delicious. <clears throat> pretty good, man. As pretty good. I don't know that it's for me particularly. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you cook them right, they're pretty good. If you don't, they're a little chewy. Fair enough. I'll take your word for it. That's all I'm saying. You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax.
That was Nobo with Gotabang, and you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And welcome back to Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, and it is time for gaming next month. Yes, it is the last Friday of the month, which means that we're going to be taking a look at the games that are coming out in April of 2020. But do remember, try to avoid going out to get these games. Stay in and get the games instead. Probably a better idea right now. And there is definitely a couple of games here that I'm sure a lot of people have been waiting for, so let's get started with April 1st. Uh, we're getting Totally Reliable Delivery Service for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. April 3rd we have three new releases. Aeolus Tournament is coming out for Switch and PC, as well as Hyper Parasite for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC, and Resident Evil 3 for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. April 7th, we have one new game, Disaster Report 4 Summer Memories for the PSVR, PS4, Switch, and PC. April 10th is going to be a big day, Final Fantasy VII Remake. After goodness knows how many years, is finally coming out on April 10th. Uh, currently exclusive to the PS4, but we can certainly expect it to show up on other systems later on. Someday You'll Return will be uh, available for the PC on April 14th. April 16th we have Dead by Daylight for iOS and Android. April 24th, three new releases including Deliver Us the Moon by, uh, for PS4 and Xbox One, uh, Predator Hunting Grounds for the PS4, and another big one because Square Enix is full of them apparently. Uh, Trials of Mana, uh, PS4, Switch, and PC is going to be coming out for the first time officially in North America. Pretty cool stuff. Gears Tactics is the first of four games coming out on April 28th, as for the Xbox One and PC. Uh, followed by Moving Out, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Sakura Wars for PS4 exclusive, and SnowRunner for PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. And finally, uh, we have Minecraft Dungeons coming up on April 30th. I don't know why we need more Minecraft, but that's what we're getting. That's for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And finally, Super Mega Baseball 3 for PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. That sounds like some pretty neat baseball to me. Uh, do keep in mind that you can check out GameInformer.com slash 2020 for an updated list at any point in time. This list can change at any time. And uh, yeah, that's going to about, about do it. Let's get to some music. You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. <laughs>
That was Complex Misconception by Demphis, and you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And I've found a thing. Yes, I've found a thing, and I'll share that thing with you in a segment that I like to call i found a thing. What thing is this? Well, I was thinking of some particularly idyllic landscapes, such as like in Xenoblade Chronicles Cross, and thought, well, let's take a look at some of the biggest um, graphically stunning games of all time, I guess you could say. Uh, well, it's not my list. This one is a thing that I found from Tom's Guide and written by Jill Shar and John Corpus. 10 Most Graphically Stunning Games of All Time. And if you're interested in any of these, go take a look at them. As video game graphics get better and better, a number of games smashed our expectations and took our breath away. Here are a few of them. Stunning graphics through the ages. Graphics are not the only thing that make a game good, but they sure can count for a lot. Video games have come far in the past 20 years, and there's a rich field of pioneering games that are artistic milestones. From technical innovators to striking stylistics, check out this list of 10 graphically stunning PC games. First up, Myst 1993. In this 1993 puzzle adventure game, players find themselves transported to Mysterious Island, where they have to solve difficult riddles and uncover the island's secrets. The game's 3D graphics were so intricate that it had to come on a CD-ROM instead of a floppy disk, which was rare for the time. But Myst was so popular that along with fellow video game The Seventh Guest, it's considered largely responsible for the subsequent adoption of CD-ROMs as a primary means of distributing software. Next up in 2007, Crisis. This futuristic first-person shooter by studio Crytek looked good on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, but the PC version was so robust that in 2007 there were no commercially available computers that could run it at its highest setting. Yeah, I do vaguely remember that, actually. For years after the game came out, graphics cards were assessed by their ability to, to run Crisis and the game is still considered a benchmark for assessing PC performance. Here's a game from 2011, L.A. Noir. Inspired by the film noir detective movies of the 1940s and 50s, L.A. Noir has players take the role of the fedora-wearing police officer turned private eye, Cole Phelps. As you travel through 1940s Los Angeles solving cases, Phelps often has to interrogate suspects for clues, which is where this game's stunning graphics truly shine. Characters' richly animated faces are detailed enough to betray a stray wince or nervous glance, all of which Phelps must use to determine what line of questioning to pursue and ultimately whom to accuse of the crime. In 2012, Max Payne 3. While the Rockstar Advanced Game Engine, or RAGE, that powers Max Payne 3 is nearly a decade old, uh, it's proven to be a rock-solid foundation for the company's latest games. The third installment in this iconic shooter series is a great showcase of this technology, presenting levels of tessellation, reflection, as well as shadows enhanced by ambient occlusion. But even without tech, the Max Payne games have always had style. 
Max Payne 3 traded the New York noir of his predecessors for the aesthetic diversity of Brazil's slums and jungles, nightclubs and offices, as well as the chromatically distorted world of Max's mind, perpetually soaked as it is by alcohol and disillusionment. In 2013 is Bioshock Infinite. While it's set with the familiar trappings of first-person shooters, Bioshock Infinite's visuals are remarkable. That's not because of the technology that powers them, but the startling originality behind them. Creative director Ken Levine and art director Scott Sinclair conceptualize the floating city of Columbia populated with beautiful monuments to American exceptionalism and plazas celebrating pseudo-Christian utopianism. It's stunning to behold this idyllic surface, even as it hides the socio-political tensions between the, haves, uh, the, between the haves and the have-nots. Transistor in 2014. More often than not, much liberty needs to be taken in video games to transition from concept art to final render. It's not the case in Transistor, an isometric brawler from Supergiant Games that takes the sketches of art director Gen Z and elevates them directly into his world. Z cites the work of Gustav Klimt and John William Waterhouse as influences in creating Cloudbank City. The result is a game that evokes the Art Nouveau of Eastern Europe and the Art Deco influences which permeated 20th century cyberpunk. But art appreciation pedantry aside, uh, Transistor is basically a game that revels in the less than glamorous yet asset intensive art of traditional 2D graphics with dripping style. In 2015, Life is Strange. Truth be told, Life is Strange doesn't have the same kind of technical flair as some of the other entries in the list, but developer Don't Nod Entertainment makes smart choices to transcend the, limita the limitations of a, a technical budget reduced from their last project the cyberpunk beat-em-up adventure Remember Me. They achieve a singular look by casting the entire experience under an impressionistic watercolor aesthetic. That's fitting given Life is Strange's focus on the misadventures of a time-rewinding teen, as the game's final look captures the dreamlike nature of memory and the uncertainty that hides behind nostalgia. In 2015, The Witcher 3 The Wild Hunt. Polish developer CD Projekt Red outdoes itself in The Witcher 3 The Wild Hunt with a lavish attention to detail that most fantasy films and movies would envy. Every costume and every cobblestone looks uniquely handcrafted, but the game's most stunning achievement, uh, technical achievement is its hair modeling. Whether it's uh, on the various fantastical creatures that protagonist Geralt encounters or the very beard that grows on his face as the adventure progresses. Hair games. There you go. Batman Arkham Knight in 2015. With hundreds of established versions of The Dark Knight between comics, cartoons, and films, there is no shortage of looks for the Batman project to choose from. For Batman Arkham Knight, developer Rocksteady chose a combination of Burton-esque grandiosity and Nolan-esque paramilitary fetishism. When combined with a heavy modified Unreal Engine 3, the final installment of the Arkham series pushes graphics processing to the limit. The, in the entirety of Gotham City features complex lighting arrays, tangible weather effects, reflective surfaces, and interactive smoke and fog. It's a vivid adventure for the Dark Knight, marred by a shoddy PC release. 2015 also brings Rise of the Tomb Raider. Uh, while originally developed for the less-than-bleeding-edge Xbox One, Rise of the Tomb Raider astounds with an array of technical bedazzlements. 
Lara Croft and other characters are animated with stunning motion capture that permits the kind of emotionally charged performances you don't often see in, event in action adventure games. There's also the realistic hair, eyes, and skin that respond visually to temperature, moisture, and light. When they all come together to respond to some of the most chaotic action set pieces ever, you get the most realistic expression yet of one of gaming's most iconic action heroes. And there it is, and there you go. Uh, that is pretty much the list that is provided here on Tom's Guide. I do find it a little disappointing that such games as Xenoblade weren't on there because Xenoblade has really nice um, landscapes. And I'm also left to imagine like a game. I know I keep harping on Crossbow all the time. It's a, it's a wonderful game, okay? But I'm left to imagine what kind of views that you would be able to see in cross worlds if it was a real thing. I mean, especially considering it's... Well, I guess that wouldn't really come down to graphics now, would it though? Because the, like, the entire game happens on a real uh, planet that act well, a moon, but on a real world that actually exists. So it would kind of transcend the whole graphics thing, I guess kind of make that entire point moot, but that's not going to be for another like 1500 years in the future, so it's not really something that we need to really take into consideration right now, but it will still be really cool to see. So what about you? Um, what are some video game um, landscapes that have caught your attention specifically? Um, yeah, let me know over on Twitter at SquareSym, S-Y-M. Uh, leave me a message and um, or leave a post, anything that anything along those lines, and um, let me know what kind of landscapes have um, caught your eyes. You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKD, 88.1 FM Halifax, and I think we have time for one more song today. Don't you?
and that was Hand in Gentle Hand by Missed Something, and that takes us to the end of our hour today. So I do hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Um, it's kind of an interesting experience as far as making these because it's like 1.25 in the morning as I'm recording this, so um, I'm much more used to doing this live, and I definitely enjoy doing it live a lot more than I enjoy uh, doing this um, from my place, but you do what you, you do what you can do with what you got. So that's what we're doing, at least for now. Hopefully not too long, but right now that's what we got. Anyway, I suppose it is time to close things up the way we usually do. Square Wave Symphony is based on the format of the Electric Leftovers podcast by Jason Parton of Low Bias Gaming, lowbiasgaming.net, and thank you to Jason Parton, by the way, for doing the news of the weird with me today. His podcast specifically is at lowbiasgaming.net slash electricleftovers. News of the Weird is written by the editors at Andrews McNeil Syndication, newsoftheweird.com. Gaming Next Month is powered by Game Informer, gameinformer.com. Segment Using composed by myself, Manama Namiki, Noriki Kimikura, Twilight of Defect, Sean Daly, Pink Projects, and Commissar. Stay tuned for the Astrology Show coming up, ne- coming up next on CKDU, followed by The Witching Hour at 7pm, and press start to continue at 8.30. Comments, questions, want your chiptunes featured on the show? Email me at squaresim at lowbiasgaming.net or get in touch on Twitter at squaresim. You can also leave some feedback on the CKDU website, ckdu.ca, click on Shows, find Square Wave Symphony in that list, and click on Leave Feedback. There's also a podcast version of this show. It's available on mobilesgaming.net slash squaresim. I know I need to update that. I'm sorry, but I'll get to that as soon as I can. And you can also search for Square Wave Symphony. Square Wave is, Square Wave is one word. On Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or TuneIn Radio, or pretty much any podcast thing that you like to use. This has been Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. I'm Coolio if you don't know, and I'll see you guys next time.